Hey everybody, we're the Menschwarmers. I'm Jamie. I'm here with my co-host Gabe, who is currently finishing a handful of Sour Patch Kids. Whoops! Uh, Gabe, how you doing? I I'm good. Um, I, I mean, I'm just looking. You can hear me doing this. I believe these are kosher Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, I think so. I know um, they don't have gelatin, yeah. which is usually the standard. Usually the I standard. Mean, at least kosher style. Co yeah, they don't <laughs> seem to have any sort of like mishkiach um, written on them, but... Okay. Uh, there's nothing in here that is not kosher other than lacking the thing. So I know some people, some of our listeners would consider that unkosher. Um, but I don't of, of, have we discussed on this podcast as a quick end, you know, we've got a lot to talk about, but you bring up an excellent point. Is there, what is your favorite kosher candy? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I actually went to the kosher candy store on Bathurst street before my wedding. Cause we had like a candy bar. And the kosher, I thought you were going to say the kosher candy festival. We reported from the kosher yeah, we candy had, festival. <laughs> as, as a vegetarian, the overlap with uh, wanting kosher candies high because they, I want things without gelatin. But unfortunately, a lot of kosher stuff has fish gelatin, which is kosher. But not um, vegetarian. But not vegeta vegetarian. So it can be a little tricky that like kosher doesn't necessarily equate vegetarian. Um, so that can be a bit, bit of a problem, but I think that one of the candies we had was, uh, runts, which, you know, I'm a big fan of Yeah, the hard fruit candies, especially the banana ones. Yeah. Um, but, uh, glad to, what, what's your favorite kosher candy? I'm a one? big fan of any sort of elite chocolate, um, elite sure. flake bars. I, I will say I'm also pretty partial to the Passover, uh, candied oranges. Ooh, yes. Uh, Although, like the you, fake candy. Do you oranges. eat the rinds? Are you supposed to eat the rinds of oh, those? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so that's the good stuff. What I, I you know, a chocolate bar I used to have in Israel and I would love for it to exist here and you can get it at the, some certain kosher grocery stores. I don't want to put anyone on blast here, but it's the chocolate bar. It's an elite milk chocolate bar that has pop rocks in it. That's an okay, adventure yes. in your mouth. I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. And, and right. good Israeli uh, chocolate. Is <laughs> Let's move on from Candy Corner. We have an exciting <laughs> uh, show for everyone today. It is June 7 as we are recording this, and tomorrow is the first day of the RBC Canadian Open, which is taking place at the Oakdale Golf and Country Club. That's right. It's, it's uh, not just any RBC Canadian Open. It's a Jewish RBC <laughs> Canadian Open. Yeah, no free ads, but we're giving them we're giving them that one. Uh, RBC, if you want to sponsor us, let us know. Uh, but the Canadian Open is taking place at Oakdale Golf and Country Club, which is a traditionally Jewish or at least Jewish founded uh, golf club. It is, you know, just to go through the history of this a little bit. Uh, it is the place that Toronto Jews founded to play golf in mm -hmm. when they weren't allowed to play at other clubs. Um, some other clubs, such as the Rosedale uh, Golf and Country Club which, you know, didn't really let Jews in until the last decade or so, and exactly. still it doesn't have very many. Um, there is a longstanding history in Toronto uh, of this sort of separation, I guess, segregation, uh, restricted clubs that wouldn't let Jews in as members. They're, you know, Toronto's proud. Toronto and the Toronto area is like, has a number of country clubs that are, at least in their, in their inception, were pretty Jewish, and some remain incredibly Jewish. Uh, you know, Oakdale, Maple Downs, uh, yep. places like that. And these have, you know, long been refuges for for, for Jews to uh, have a place to go play. Oakdale, when it was built, was sort of on the outskirts of the city, uh, is now sort of centrally in uh, the northwestern part of North York. I mean, it's sort of surrounded on all sides by, uh, you know, just suburban neighborhoods. Yep. 
Um, but it, you know, remains a club with a pretty Jewish identity. It, um, uh, not not exclusive, not exclusive, obviously, uh, not, not exclusively Jewish, but I would say it has a very strong Jewish identity. Absolutely, interestingly, and so we've talked about this in the past. We've talked about this on our show with with both Lawrence Applebaum, the CEO of Golf Canada, and our uh, I guess sister podcasts host um, Rabbi Avi. Uh, that this is not actually Oakdale isn't the first Jewish club to host the Canadian Open uh, in right. uh, I guess nine it's a couple of times in the 1960s both 64 and 69 the Canadian Open was held at Pine Grove um, which is okay. sort of the Montreal version of Oakdale which is the the Montreal Jewish community founded in the 50s sort of as a a response to have been uh, excluded and restricted from joining all of the other uh, all of the other right. clubs. So between Pine Grove, so in almost yeah, in more than fifty years, it's been it's been fifty years since the Canadian Open has taken place at a Jewish country club. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been a few PGA events here and there in the states at, at country clubs that have Jewish affiliations or, or again Jewish histories and things like that. Uh, but this is you know pretty exciting. It's it's the first time uh, that that the that Oakdale is hosting it, and I was lucky to have a chance to sit down with both Molly Jagroup, who is the general manager at Oakdale, and Mark Sadowski, who is the immediate past president, uh, you know, sort of from the member side, uh, and talk to them about the things that the club has had to do to get ready, you know, why mm-hmm. they are hosting the Open now, why why it's time for them to do it. Uh, and that was a really fun conversation and interesting to hear their perspectives, both in terms of, you know, what what's involved in, in just making a golf tournament happen. You know, these things are huge undertakings. Uh, and, and hear more about the club's history as well. So please, you know, stick around for that interview. I think it's a lot of fun. I'm, uh, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. I know. I'm. I'm really excited to hear it. Um, you know, I was not. I, I wasn't available for the interview, so Jamie took this one solo. Um, and so I'm. I'm super excited to hear how the interview goes. I, as you mentioned, it is a. You know, people at at country clubs seem to be. Uh, I would say reticent to do this sort of thing. Um, you know, it's a big disruption right. to their usual programming, but I think, you know, the leadership at Oakdale saw it as a really big opportunity for them to to have an experience and, and sort of bring bring the club to the forefront. And, you know, to get into our first topic of the uh, of the week, um, suddenly the biggest story in all of sports is taking place squarely at Oakdale Country Club, the Oakdale Golf and Country Club, the Jewish Golf Club in Toronto. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing that, uh, you know, just yesterday uh, there was a quote unquote merger announced between the PGA and Live Golf. And I just want to get off, get get right off the bat here. Merger is a nonsense phrase. It is not a merger. It is an acquisition. Yes. Live Golf is not on any equal footing with the PGA and never has been. No elements of Live Golf in terms of like the 54 hole structure, uh, you know, uh, the team system is going to make it into the PGA. Maybe some of the places where they've played will become PGA events, but it's not a merger. It's not like the AFL and the NFL. Uh, you know, Live Golf is this upstart from the last couple of years that was funded by the uh, Saudi Public Investment Fund um, and, and to compete with the PGA. And the the PIF is investing, aka buying the PGA Tour. That's that's the entirety of it. Yep. It is not is not truly a merger in any in any real sense, but it is happening. This is a great lesson that money always wins. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, the money is going to be the only thing that matters. Uh, and I think it's interesting. It's interesting from a Jewish perspective as well. I, I think there's some, some uh, you know, general angles on this, but there's a Jewish angle here too. Um, totally. It's not, 
you know, traditionally speaking, the Saudi Arabian government has not been particularly kind to the Jewish people. Um, and nor nor have they ongoing... been particularly kind to criticism, which is something the Jewish people are able to provide in spades <laughs> to anyone. Um, yeah. But and I mean, look, maybe this is a period of, of detente. Uh, certainly we are seeing the opening of relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel mm-hmm. in, a, in a meaningful way, which I think most people would see as a positive thing. But uh, I, I, I don't see that it's it's being um, reflected by any sort of internal easing of repressive policies no. on, the, on the Saudi side. So far, so in, in far. In anything but the most, most, most lip service ways. And so far, the know, best this is sort of could, outside of our depth. The best we got <laughs> from a sports perspective is that wrestler Goldberg was able to wrestle uh-huh. in, in Saudi Arabia where, you know, he had been to Israel. So previously he would not have been allowed in the country. Um, right. And now he was um, able to wrestle Goldberg and his, you know, the, the other sort of Jewish wrestling impresario, Paul Heyman. Um, we're both, we're both in, in Saudi Arabia, but beyond that, yeah, it, there's not in, a lot in terms of, of golf. I mean, so far in, in terms of golf, I mean, I don't think it's going to affect the Jewish golfers who play on the PGA tour in any meaningful way. They'll be allowed to play wherever they need to play. Um, maybe, you know, there'll be some, some jokes made if, uh, some, some big Saudi investment ends up, you know, putting huge amounts of money in Max Homa's pocket when he wins a tournament. But, uh, whatever. I mean, I think there's the, the, the Jews have the same concerns that, Lots of people do about Saudi investment in, in these sorts of things. Um, and I guess we'll have to see where it goes. But, you know, it's just sort of amazing that this is all happening on this on this week where a Jewish club happens to be hosting a tournament. There were, there you know, all the press conferences with, you know, like Rory McIlroy, for example, was the two-time, two-time champion of the, of the Canadian Open, two-time defending champion. You know, all the questions with him were about, you know, are you upset that you didn't take the live money? Uh, what does this mean? And all that stuff. So... Uh, it's going to be, uh, the spotlight's going to be on it. We will, we will we'll be, be there. there. And, and I should say that we, uh, I promise you, we, we'll we, be the we ones, are covering the Canadian Open again. we'll be the yeah. ones to ask Roy McElroy enough about live. Do you know that this is a Jewish club? Is that a thing <laughs> that you are aware of or anyone has told you? Um, yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll be the only ones asking questions just about, you know, are, are you familiar with this club? Have you been to any bar mitzvahs here? Exactly. Uh, things, things like that. Um, uh, would you like to come to a bar mitzvah here? I'm <laughs> definitely going to, you know, we talked about bar mitzvahs at Oakdale with Dan Rappaport a few months ago on this podcast, um, you know, the barstool golf dude. And I'm planning on certainly asking Toronto Jewish golfer Ben Silverman at the tournament. Um, if he had been to any bar mitzvahs at Oakdale, because I'm guessing the answer is yes. Yeah. Just just to end this on a positive note, Gabe, uh, you you have played Oakdale before. I, I have not. Um, you've played it a few times. Um, you you have a family member who's who's a member. Uh, any any good Oakdale memories you can share? Anything that that people watching on TV should look forward to, or yes, uh, anything you want to share about the club? Um, absolutely. So you know, it's a very very difficult golf course. It's got a lot of history. Um, somewhat related. If anyone is a, a fan of the television show Suits, um, most of the golf, oh, golf episodes of Suits um, were filmed at Oakdale. Um, you know, starred Gabriel Mocked, Jewish actor. Got to have Gabe solidarity yeah. between me and him. Um, and he's yeah, certainly right. been to Oakdale before, at least to film golf scenes of his television show. That's cool. I feel I feel like Gabriel Macht is a real uh, like under the radar Jewish actor. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I get a lot of suits on TikTok for some reason. I watched the first season and then I, didn't continue. I but, I uh, mean, this is a yeah. really Jewish story. But I met Gabriel Macht once, and all I said to him was, yeah. "Hey, my name's Gabe too." And he went, "How about that?" And shook my hand <laughs> at a Paul Simon concert in Toronto. 
Um, that all sounds that all that all that all checks. Yeah, out. it was it was very <laughs> Jewish. Like the moment itself was just very quick. Like we were sort right. of in line together to leave the Paul Simon concert. Uh, if if anyone if anyone would like a, a special bonus episode where I just break down the uh, new Paul Simon record, <laughs> uh, which I've been listening to more or less on repeat since it came out, uh, feel free to write in and, and we'll ask uh, we'll ask the Canadian Jewish News for for a spot on on one of the other cultural feeds. Um, moving on to some other Jewish sports news, uh, not much to report in terms of the French Open. Uh, most of the Jewish athletes who were there sort of didn't make it past the second or third round. Uh, Alina Svitolina, who she was doing continues phenomenal. to have unconfirmed Jewish ancestry. Like I, every attempt I do make at researching this is just like unconfirmed. And maybe we need someone who uh, reads Ukrainian to help us well, with this and like do should, some deep digging. We should reach out to to Lawrence yeah. Applebaum. Um, you know, if I see him this week, I'm gonna talk about it. He's a tennis guy. He'll know. Yeah. Um, He'll know for sure. But she made the she made the quarterfinals, uh, so that's something. Um, otherwise, not not much going on there from a from a Jewish angle. Uh, hockey and basketball we've talked about before. There's uh, four straight games starting tonight between basketball and hockey taking place in South Florida. Uh, that's pretty Jewish. You know, a relatively a lot of Jews can Jewish go to area. that one. So that's exciting, but you know, not not a lot of Jewish participation in the NBA or NHL finals this year. Um, one other thing I want to I wanted to mention was that uh, unfortunately we we heard news today. Uh, that the wrestler, the Iron Sheik, died. Um, the Iron Sheik, uh, not Jewish, but he was a, a uh, big friend Khazrao, of the Jews. Yeah, Khazrao Vaziri, um, you know, who's sort of this played this sort of larger than life. I mean, he's a wrestling, he's a wrestler, so that comes with the territory. But this sort of larger than life, you know, uh, I, I don't know, sort of representing uh, the Middle East. I would say during the nineteen eighties, is that a fair way to put it? I, I think um, so. Just as, generally. As a generally sort of anti-american yeah. pro pro russia pro iran um he himself is iranian uh we say he wasn't jewish but part of the way that he's become sort of known to a generation uh of of both wrestling fans and non-wrestling fans is through the twitter account that he uh i don't know was associated with i guess yep. is the right way to put it um the the twitter account that was sort of under his name and ostensibly from him but i think understood to not be him and I think for people in the know or, or people in Toronto wrestling fans uh, knew that the, the people behind this were, were Paige and Paige and Gian Megan, AKA the Megan boys uh, who are, who are, are his managers. Two, yeah. Who are his managers. And I think his sort of, uh, I think what I've read was that their, their dad and he were best friends. Like he, you know, he was sort of honorary uncle, mm -hmm. someone they grew up with um, and, and sort of, you know, created this Twitter character, I guess, like, you know, it was an extension of the iron sheet character from, when he was wrestling, uh, but it was in a new Twitter version. Uh, and so Paige, Paige and Gian, I, I think it, it, this is sort of funny because I'm explaining this to, to anyone. Anyone in the Toronto area will absolutely know who they are. And anyone outside of the Toronto area uh, pr who's not a wrestling fan. Or, or a bar mitzvah not. DJ. Yeah. So they are these sort of like bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah kings of Toronto. And they have been for a long time. Uh, like about 20 odd years ago, they came up to Jewish summer camps for the summer and like, you know, became characters themselves, like almost taking on wrestling, wrestling personas, mm -hmm. I would say is, was, was, was basically their strategy. Uh, you know, they've remained fixtures in the local wrestling and promotion scene. They, they, do, they have their fingers in a lot of pies. I mean, I, I, am not, uh, you know, saying anything that people don't know who live in Toronto, that they're, you know, real, they're, they're, they're real successful entrepreneurs. Yeah, big mockers. And they're real the, mockers. Yeah, big, 
Yeah, and they've been behind the Iron Sheik Twitter account. So I don't know what their plans are for it now that uh, the actual Iron Sheik has passed away. Um, I would assume that it'll it'll have to wind up in some some respect, but I I, I don't know. One other, I mean, um, it's worth but, worth mentioning. There is a um, you know two more Jewish connections to the Iron Sheik. Sheik. Uh, he, you know, before his pro wrestling career was a very successful Olympic wrestler. Um, you know, he never competed at his own Olympics, but he was sort of that style of wrestling, amateur wrestling for a long time. He was a coach on the U S team during the Munich Olympics, which as we know, has sort of a tragic Jewish connection. Um, as well, he sort of kept his career going for a long time with regular appearances on the Howard Stern show. Um, which is a very, you know, obviously a very Jewish New York guy. Um, Howard Stern. Um, and, you know, they were close friends as well. So he's he's sort of had a long professional career, you know, being close and working with Jewish people, proudly Jewish people um, for a long time. And, you know, from all accounts, he was a really wonderful guy. Right. Um, Paige and Gian also, uh, I believe, put together a documentary about, about the Sheik uh, mm-hmm. a couple years ago. Um, that's our, you know, talked, talked about his legacy and, you know, just a guy with a really interesting career. So, uh, sad, to, sad to see that he, he passed away. Gabe, one other story that's, uh, really caught the attention, I think of a lot of Jewish soccer fans around the world is that Israel they're, who they're, has only made one regular world. They're having before, a real kick about. Yeah. They qualified for the 2023 FIFA U20 world cup. This is the best players in the world, uh, who are under 20 years old. It was originally going to be held in Indonesia. We talked about this on our last podcast that Indonesia gave up the rights to host it because they didn't want to host Israel. Um, so uh, maybe that's a little sign of things to come with uh, Saudi Arabia's continued involvement in sports. Uh, sidebar. Anyways, <laughs> Israel made it to the made it made it to the cup finals. The semifinals. Uh, they, they have made it to the semifinals. Well, the, sorry, I mean the cup finals is like you know the tur- the yes, tournament. the tournament uh, itself. Yes, they qualified. Uh, they went. One one and one in the group stage, beating Japan in their last match. That was the last thing that hadn't happened before we we taped our last interview, uh, b- before we taped our last episode. And since then, they've won their round of sixteen and quarterfinal game. They beat Uzbe- Uzbekistan one nothing, and they beat Brazil. Brazil, you know, the soccer powerhouse of the world, three two in the quarterfinals. Abs- it was um, a, sort of pretty a, unbelievable. A truly huge day for Israeli soccer. I'm gonna right now quote Jonathan Cohen. Um, the television announcer on the Hebrew language broadcast. This is this is translated um, to what Jonathan Cohen in Israel said into the broadcast. Uh, as the time ran up, he said, quote, You will tell of this night to your children, and they will tell it to their children, and they will tell it to their grandchildren. Um, wow. Which is quite, quite a, you know, I think you'd have to be a particularly big Israeli soccer fan for that to be true. However, right. Uh, the day no, this Israel is upset deal. Brazil is a, like a momentous day for co- sports in the country. Yeah. And and we should say this is not exclusively a Jewish team. Uh, you know, in the last game, there were two goals scored, uh, one by Hamza Shibli and one by Anand Khalili, uh, or Khalili uh, both of whom are Arab Israelis. Um, and the third goal was scored by uh, Dor Turgaman. Uh, who is a Jewish Israeli. So this Dor, is a mixed team. Dor Turgaman is a, like a, a 10 out of 10 Israeli name. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, this is a mixed team. I think it's a, a team that Israel is having a lot of uh, a lot of pride in right now. As, as we are taping this, you know, they're gearing up for the semifinal match against Uruguay. Uh, so by the time you're listening to this, the, that 
depending on when you're listening to this, that may or may not have happened. If they win, they'd be facing Italy, the winner of Italy and South Korea in the finals. Uh, you know, and, on, and, uh, on 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 June 11th, which is this Sunday, um, or or they'd be in the third third place game on Sunday. So they will have one more match after this, regardless. And this is and it's a huge accomplishment. Absolutely, this is you know it. You know, the three teams left in have all been recent World Cup semifinalists or champions. Um, right, exactly. You know, Uruguay, these are real powerhouses. Real power. Yeah. All, all sort of the best countries in the world at soccer. Korea has is just getting better after being, you know, breaking out twenty years ago when they hosted the World Cup. Italy is Italy, of course, and Uruguay has had one World Cups before. They've had an incredibly long and successful uh, uh, soccer time. So, see if Israel can hang with the big boys. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the exciting part as well is that you know this is the U twenty. Uh, World Cup. So this is th- these guys. You know the three the three p- people who I mentioned uh, who scored are you know I, I think eighteen eighteen and twenty yeah. uh, or eighteen eighteen and nineteen. Turgerman's only nineteen years old. These are guys who are you know just coming up through the Israeli club system. Um, probably will have some you know move to a European team at some point yep. uh, in the next few years as they get older. And this is going to be the you know these people could be the core of an Israeli national team that. Can, you know, is looking to compete at the World Cup, the the you know mature World Cup, and with a forty eight team World Cup, uh, which I believe is what's planned starting at the next World Cup in twenty twenty six, there is more opportunity to you know win a few games here and there and qualifying and make it in and, and that you know, totally. as I said, Israel's only won one World Cup before. Some of those matches it, are going to be, be in Canada. Thing. It's actually very interesting. There was a great article in the JTA um, in the last couple of days. You know, it's in about how. The, the tournament is currently in Argentina, which is a country with a, a very large Jewish population. Um, sure. And, you know, to have a South American country versus a Israel is a big battle between, you know, all of those. As as Uruguay is now the last <laughs> South American country left, so you sure. have continental pride and you cheer for them. But, you know, you can't choose between between cheering for Israel and cheering for, you know, Uruguay, your homeland. Um, it's, it's truly, or your, you know, ancestral homeland and your current, um, homeland. Um, it's really quite, you know, spectacular. Sure. must be a tough one for, for all the, uh, the Jews of Mont- Montevideo. Yeah. I mean, there are um, some and Jews of Argentina. Absolutely. Sure. Um, yeah. it's, it's going to be great. The game, uh, you know, this is coming out. The game is taking place on Thursday, the 8th at 2 30 PM, uh, Argentina time, which I think is central time in North America. Um, and in Europe, it'll be on at about 8 or 8.30. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so we wish Team Israel luck, and hopefully we can report on their uh, their U20 World Cup championship uh, next time we do this podcast. Uh, before we get to our interview with Mark and Molly, we just want to mention that this podcast is brought to you by the BetStamp app, which is helping thousands of people win at sports betting for free. Uh, BetStamp is a way to see and track odds on different sports bet. Uh, there's a number of different apps that are available in Ontario now, and this allows you to see the best bets. So Gabe, if you wanted to put some money on the Vegas Golden Knights to win game three tomorrow, which they probably will, this would let you see the different odds at different at different books, and, and you could select the best odds uh, to get the best return on your investment. So, so as to sort of optimize, you're saying that if I was to bet at one place, say, I think the Golden Knights are going to win, there'd be different odds from one app to another. I'd make a different amount of money depending on who I'm talking to. 
Exactly. So different sports books set their odds in different ways. And Betstamp allows you to sort of see it as a grid, track it, uh, track it historically and, and record your bets as well. So we encourage everyone to check out Betstamp. Uh, you can find the website at betstamp.app and you can download it for your iPhone or Android. And if you use the promotion code Menschwarmers, uh, they will let you know we can't, that we sent you their way and they will give you some free offer money as well to, to bet with some of the uh, some of the local casinos in Ontario. So let's go now to our interview with Mark and Molly. I'm joined today by Mark Sadowski, the immediate past president of Oakdale Golf Club, and Molly Jagroup, the general manager of Oakdale Golf Club. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Nice to be here. Uh, so you guys are both here today because there is a very special event coming up at Oakdale, which is the 2023 Canadian Open. Uh, we're talking on June 1st. The Open starts in nine days, I guess, or sorry, in seven days. The, the tournament will officially begin. Uh, but based on what I've read and talking to you, it sounds like, you know, this isn't just a, a four day event that comes and goes. It's a huge undertaking and a huge process. Um, so, Mark, I wanted to start by talking to you a little bit. Uh, you were the president when the bidding or, or organization for the tournament began. Can you tell me a little bit about that process? How did that begin? Uh, what was involved on your end in, term getting, in terms of getting the, the, the club involved and getting, uh, getting into the PGA? Well, I, I think the, there's a, a great story to the origins of this event at Oakdale, which involved two members, Mark Laurie and Jordan Klein, who were watching the Canadian Open on television both in their own homes on the television. And Mark Laurie says, why doesn't Oakdale host the Canadian Open? And, and both are, are uh, Mark is our club captain, both, both um, exceptional golfers in their own right. And um, Jordan says, oh, no, no, our, our course would be too easy. Mark okay. says, well, I was at Royal Melbourne in Australia. They took their 27 holes and they made a composite routing. Jordan says, that sounds great. Do you mind if I maybe reach out to Golf Canada? And that is the beginning of how this actually came about. And uh, once it got traction, certainly from a Golf Canada perspective, we have an amazing venue for them in terms of holding an event, access, all of that. And um, the uh, pr president prior to me, Sam Winberg, uh, and, and the uh, general manager prior to Molly started the, the negotiations and the discussions, and they got it to a point where my tenure began, and it was time to go to the members. And we took uh, our members uh, uh, to uh, the two town halls uh, with Golf Canada, allowed members to express their concerns, their questions, their everything that they wanted to know about what it would mean for us to host the Open. And uh, subsequently, we had a, a membership vote in which we had um, around 73% of our, of our members uh, voting in favor, which for Golf Canada was the highest that they've received um, wow. from, from other clubs. And um, that's that's really how this whole uh, event got got going at Oakdale. And I should say that um, Oakdale has signed up both to host this year's 2023 Open and also the 2026 Open, uh, if I understand. So this is a, was that part of the commitment as well to, to host two times? It was. as uh, For Golf Canada, they were looking to create a rotation, not unlike other events. And so right. that was part of their strategy was to build sort of this idea of, of it returning to host clubs. Clearly, there's all kinds of efficiencies, uh, practical and otherwise, uh, but that was how... Uh, this was originally uh, framed and structured, 
and voted on by our members. Right. And now switching gears a bit, uh, a question for you, Molly, is, you know, as I said, this isn't just a four day undertaking. You're the general manager of the club. What's in, what's been involved, I, I would say, the last few months or the last year, however long it's been of getting getting the course ready, getting the venue ready, getting everything in place. What 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 actually has to go on to make a golf tournament of this size happen? <laughs> Sure, James. And, and as Mark said earlier, you know, this is sort of like years in the making, you know. Sure. Um, yes, we, we spoke to Golf Can and we got, you know, uh, their agreement to host the event. But from a staffing standpoint, you know, there's a lot of planning and, you know, just getting the course ready, getting the, the club ready. You know, we have access to expertise such as uh, security expertise, uh, agronomic expertise, where, you know, the PGA, et cetera, they will come to the club, work very closely with our superintendent, with our golf professional, myself. Food and beverage is a huge component of this uh, tournament. Sure. So working with our chefs, uh, just building and planning all the menus and, and you know, the club, the clubhouse and the operations director, exactly what the club should look like, all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of planning that goes into this. Um, but it's great for the staff as well because they they now uh, are privy to expertise that they would under normal circumstances probably not have a chance to um, you know to be privy to. So this is it's great for them as well. It raised their profile you know within the industry, um, their peers, right. etc. So so yeah, lots and lots of work and planning that goes into it. Um, it's by no means over. This is the home stretch for us, you know, so <laughs> right. again, just paying close attention to what's happening this week. But yes, it's, it's a bit of a mayhem around here. But again, it's, it's controlled chaos is what I would like to call it. A ton of stuff sure. happening everywhere. Um, you know, we have our ears to the ground at all times, just making sure that things are running as smoothly as they possibly can. Um, you know, and next week, I imagine it'll be completely out of our control. So, right. you know. You just do everything. You set everything up. You make everything perfect, and then you just let it run That's and, exactly and let right. it happen. It's everything leading up to tournament week, and then James, my, you know, I'm certain that that week there's nothing that we, you know, we would have control over. It's basically all the work that you've done leading up to that. You would only hope that you give it your very best shot. So, do you, do you have an idea of how many people are expected uh, on any given day of the tournament? I, I guess Saturday or Sunday will be the biggest days. How many people are expected at the venue? Yeah, we, the we spoke to Golf Canada about this, and you know we probably would have about twenty thousand people at a time here, wow. twenty to thirty, you know, the latter half of the week. Um, but yeah, the, the earlier part may not be as busy, but for sure. And we also so, are hosting the the concerts on the Friday night and the Saturday night at the club. So I imagine those two days, um, a, a number of people that are coming to view the golf tournament would also stay for the concert. So. And then there are those that right. only for the concert. So, yeah, there'll be a lot of traffic, I'm certain. And, and the concerts are, um, that's being held on the, the range for the golf course. So, okay. uh, so it's all right on property. So, so a slightly bigger event than, than say, a 300-person bar mitzvah, oh, uh, yeah. which I think was the last last time I was at Oakdale. <laughs> that would be a um, statement, yes. So uh, question for, for either of you or Mark, maybe you can speak to this. You mentioned it's Oakdale's a 27-hole course. It's made of three different uh, nine holes. And from my understanding, it's, it, they're, they're relatively short by, you know, sort of championship standards. Uh, so what what was done? What were the processes or, or what was the planning for putting together an 18-hole course, sort of like a, an amalgam of uh, what I understand? It's a, few, it's a few holes from each of the nine holes, basically, uh, to make 18. 
Well, actually, it's um, uh, the routing, the composite routing. Uh, we have three nines. Uh, we have okay. our, our Thompson nine, our um, Hominick nine, and our Knudsen nine. And the uh, first nine, the, the front uh, for the tournament, will be a composite of the Thompson and Hominick uh, 18 holes. Okay. The, the back nine will be entirely our Knudsen or our third nine. And so okay, great. that's how, and the, and as you can appreciate the routing, which, I mean, it's fascinating to, to sort of go through the process, but in addition to um, the golf experience for the members, they, the Golf Canada and PGA has to consider traffic flow. So where are the people going to go? Where, how are the players going to get where they have to get to? And all of those sorts of things were all considerations. Oakdale will be the uh, longest uh, of the Canadian Opens today oh, wow. from our okay. understanding. So in fact, we are close to or around 7,400 yards. Right. Okay. And I take it that means it's a it's a pretty different golf course uh, for members. They won't be really be familiar if they're walking around the grounds with all the, uh, you know, sponsor tents and uh, grandstands up and things like that, except on the back nine. But the first nine is going to be a real, you know, rearranging of things uh, on the golf course. So t for the last year, we've actually been celebrating this, the, the impending event by uh, putting posts on all the holes. So our members will actually appreciate the routing because when they're playing number you know, one of Thompson, that's the number one of the event. Well, the number three of right. Thompson is the hole number two and so on and so on. So, so our holes are well-marked and members, I think by this point, who are obviously familiar with the property are very familiar now with the new routing. And we've had a couple of member events where they got to play the routing that the pros will play from the same, from the tips, as we call it, the very back uh, tees. Um, so they've, they've had a taste of what our course will look like for the pros. Right. So on that, on that topic, I mean, uh, from, again, from what I understand, you know, a tournament can have a long lasting impact on the course itself. You know, the grass has to regrow. You have to, you have to give up the week, obviously, when, when the tournament's actually happening in terms of giving up time. Sure. Um, what, what was the feeling from members or either during the vote or in the lead up to it? Was there a feeling of, you know, wanting to show off the course? Uh, was there any sense of, you know, wanting to show off, you know, this, this special place that's a, that's been a, a you know, a, a haven for Jewish members for, for the last many decades. Right. Was that part of what inspired the members here to, to give up that space to the, to the Canadian Open? I would say in, in, in truth, it's, it's very mixed. I, I, Oakdale's never been about, um, showing itself off. We, we sure. have had golf events that, um, such as the, uh, uh, amateur, uh, uh, Ontario amateur uh, uh, event year after year um, out of uh, a sense of duty to golf and tradition at Oakdale. But we've never really promoted ourselves, never sought course ratings uh, and so forth. It, it's, it, so, so you have quite a mix. You obviously have the ardent and passionate golfers who are excited to see how how far they hit versus Rory. So they want to see <laughs> right. Rory play their course. You have um, other golfers who um, are nervous and, and apprehensive about what will it mean to the course. You know, you have 100,000 people trampling your course for, for four days. What's that going to look like when it's over? So I think um, members were, were really ran the, the spectrum of feelings and, and concerns. And, and we embraced that, right? The, 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 the two town halls were intended to 
um, get a very fair representation of members who are comfortable holding the event. So it, it, it was not the prestige as much as one might think th that would drive a certain course. Um, uh, it was more um, a sense of it was, it, it was time. You know, Oakdale has a lot of historic uh, connections to golf in Canada, not only players like George Knutson and Will Hominick and now Bob Boschman right. and, and so forth, but, but really it was, um, we've had events, we've had uh, people play uh, who are, you know, we had a DeMaurier event uh, uh, many, many years ago. Um, it wasn't really about showing off. Having said that, now that we've embraced this, we obviously want to present our course uh, for the beauty that it is and that we appreciate. So it's a Stanley Thompson course for golfers. That will mean something. Um, sure. Our back nine is a Robbie Robinson course who emulated Thompson, but this is his coming out party because he's never had a Canadian open featuring his work. Oh, wow. So, so those are the that. kinds of things that have sort of all blended together as part of how people felt. And again, we have members who don't even golf who are giving up their club. So we had to be considerate right. of everyone. Sure. And, and are the members being involved this weekend? Are they volunteering? Uh, are there people involved Absolutely. in different ways? We, so, so there, you know, members have done two things, which we expected them to do. One is they bought up the seats that we could, that could be allocated to us. They're excited to, to, to showcase in that regard, have their clients and their friends and their family be on site and witness history. For Oakdale. Right. And I think the second thing is we've seen a, a, an incredible upsurge in volunteerism. Um, many of our members are um, uh, co-chairing and we have two fabulous co-chairs, um, Tammy Brown, who's a past president, Richard um, uh, Pollan, who has been a longstanding uh, uh, board member and, and, and member of the club, both of whom have under them, a series, probably 15 or so committees with chairs of our volunteers or co-chairs of our uh, with our volunteers. And then we have the children and the grandchildren and even some of the parents who are volunteering in, a, in an array of, of uh, roles throughout the week. So, so we, the, for those who have embraced the event, they have embraced it, you know, uh, very, very, you know, uh, um, uh, excited. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, do you feel like this is a, a chance to sort of uh, grow the game, I guess, a little bit internally in terms of getting your members, uh, you know, and their and their kids and grandkids involved? Is, is this a way to, you know, continue the tradition within the club and, and get those people going? Well, uh, I think Oakdale is a very unique venue and club. And, and to, to sort of answer that um, a little bit sort of uh, stepping back. So Oakdale has a very unique membership program called the Legacy Program, where um, grandparents, great-grandparents, parents, children, uh, somewhere in your lineage uh, um, joins the club. And that provides the next generation an opportunity to join the club without initiation fees, which is very unique, I think, anywhere. And as a result, we have a quite um, uh, a unique situation where we are a multi-generational club. And so right. th the thing about this event is that families will... And, and, you know, everywhere from grandparents, parents, children will experience this together. And I think that's another aspect of our mission, which is to be family focused. I think in terms of growing the game, there's, there's sort of the day-to-day -day things that we do very well that invite members to, because to, it can be very intimidating for, for new members or new to golf uh, individuals, where we uh, have programs and opportunities where we, we um, expose them and give them that sort of safe uh, opportunity to try golf and then learn golf 
and then grow uh, and so forth. So, so it really is slightly different in terms of answering your question about growing the game for our right. club. But, but if I can just add to that, we do think we're growing the game for Canada and, and you know, th that we are a almost a hundred year old club. Um, we have uh, a very welcoming uh, nature. We're very, very community focused, so much so that we've actually been the first private club to have the, the first tee program, which is a, 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 a golf program that's, that's North American, I believe, that invites um, uh, children from all economic backgrounds to come out and try golf. And Oakdale has, has I think we are in our second year yeah. Yeah. of, of uh, inviting first tee to, to Oakdale. And we're very proud of can, that. Can you talk a little bit more, more of that, Molly, if you know uh, a little bit more about that? What's so, that program and, and how does it, uh, does it, it encourages diversity in terms of people playing golf from, from non-traditional non golf backgrounds, let's say? Absolutely, James. And that's exactly as Mark said. So we're in our second year and we're amongst the first club in Ontario that actually embraced the program. And, and, you know, those that know anything about first seed, it's more than just golf. It's learning about life skills, et cetera. So we have some of our professionals and a few of our members who, um, you know, provide that service to the local community. And so we have a lot of, of the community, uh, younger kids coming into the program, et cetera. So absolutely, it's been embraced. And uh, it's something that the members are very proud of doing, and we will continue to do so. Right. Uh for either of you guys, is there anything that you're specifically excited to see some of the really long hitters on tour? Uh, you know, you talk about Rory, like seeing him play. I mean, obviously he's defending, he's defending his title this year. I think that's really exciting. He's, Second time. You know, he's a two-time two -time champion now, yeah. But obviously one of the best golfers in the world. Uh, is there anything in particular you're excited to see them do? Uh, you know, is there something you want to see them hit that, that you've never quite been able to hit yourself, but, but maybe a pro can? <laughs> Well, I would. Well, I wouldn't be a good example of of uh, one of those long hitters. But uh, clearly, <laughs> I think there's obviously certain uh, uh, areas around the club where members are hoping to see um, the world's best golfers land their ball, uh, breaking right. perhaps new ground, um, perhaps looking at a course record which has uh, been around for for many many years. I think they're uh, overall very excited to see. Um, how the the pros play our course, how they plot and plan and play um, uh, our 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 you know eighteen holes that they'll be that they'll be on. So I think there's a is there is there a, is there a course play. record is there a course record for the eighteen that they'll be playing, uh, or is that sort of a new a new course quote unquote? Um, like, is there a course oh, yeah. record for just any eighteen? How does that work? That's a new routing, right? Right, Mark. I don't. Yeah. Right. So there's no record for this routing per se. So I think that's a that's a uh, I'm sure that whoever holds the record will be able to defend that by virtue of saying, well, it wasn't the 18 that I played. <laughs> right. uh, but no, I, I just mean that I think that's that's exciting that someone someone you know probably on Thursday is going to set a you know if someone shoots a 63 or something like that on Thursday it could be a new course record for that 18. Certainly, uh, we'll see it again in three and, years. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that uh, is interesting in watching the how they how they prepare the course is they they. They have challenges for the members by where they put the tee box, where they put the pin, or not members, but players rather, uh, and therefore um, challenge them to either, you know, go for a long ball or, or you know, manage the course a little bit more conservatively <laughs> as they right. approach uh, the tee. I think there's lots of that 
which will be very exciting. You played. Well, I think I think we're gonna. Sorry, go ahead, Molly. I was gonna say, Mark, you played a routing on a simulator. How was that? Did you find that fun? Yes, it was um, a lot of fun. It was. It was certainly. It's a lot more fun to be out on the course, but it was a, an interesting experience. Um, Molly's alluding to the fact, James, that as part of of uh, all of this is that a um, the Oakdale course is is now available um, to be played on a simulator. So I just oh wow, that's this, wonderful, which is very exciting. So I happened to be uh, there when they were installing it. They asked me to sort of play a couple holes, and it was a lot of fun to watch them play. Um, or to watch, see our course sort of on video. And as uh, one of our pros mentioned, he said, imagine people in Australia will be playing Oakdale. And that was it. <laughs> right. Is that, is that available uh, like at Oakdale or so you, it's like part of the software that it can be for anything that has a simulator now? Yes, it's it'll part be, of the software. That, that, it's that, part of the software, but it'll be available widely uh, for the way that all uh, simulators provide software. I, it'll, be, okay. uh, it'll be available to anyone anywhere. Yeah. who uses the routing that uh, the, yeah our uh, this uh, simulator technology that's great that's exciting and i'm sure it'll be exciting for your members uh in, in january or february uh those who those who haven't escaped uh down to florida or Absolutely. somewhere warmer <laughs> smart folk <laughs> uh anyways i think we'll wrap it up there but i want to thank you both so much for joining us taking some time out of what i'm sure is a busy schedule especially as this tournament uh gets gets underway uh, but I hope I'll, I'll see you both next week and, and wish you both the best of luck with everything. I think this is going to be a great event and, and really excited for, for you, for Oakdale, and for everybody. Thank you, James. Well, thanks again to Mark Sadowski and Molly Group for joining us for the interview. It was really nice to chat with them. Uh, and hear more about you know what's going on behind the tournament. I, I'm Gabe. I, I'm really excited to, to be there. Uh, we're going to go on Friday and, and check things out. Um, you know, sort of get to pretend to be journalists for a day. It's uh, it's going to be great. I'm you know I'm really fascinated to see how you know to see to learn you know what we've learned in this interview about what it takes to run a golf tournament and then watch it all come together. Um, Plus, plus we get so much swag. <laughs> I'm in it for the free. Diet a, lot, a lot of free swag. A lot of free. Yeah, a lot of free swag. A lot of free diet cokes uh, from being media. Uh, the PGA certainly treats you well. Um, before we go, I wanted to mention a. Uh, a you know what? They have that PIF money now, so maybe they'll have you know a, a slightly larger containers Fa- of coke. Fountain diet. Fountain coke. diet. Yeah, coke. What's the uh, glass bottle the diet coke? Yeah, uh, I want. I want to give a shout out to listener Peter Sevet, uh, who sent in an article. That was published on BBC Sport about Rudy Ball. Uh, he was a ice hockey star who both represented and survived Nazi Germany, a Jewish uh, German hockey player uh, who played for Germany in the 1930s, uh, survived, essentially. And uh, it's a very interesting story. You know, it was part of the 1936 German Olympic team. Uh, and so th- thanks to Peter for sending that out. We've talked a little bit before. Uh, when we had Andrew Marinus on about the 36 Olympics, but I don't think we talked about Rudy Ball. So uh, it, interesting, interesting article on the BBC uh, that we recommend you check it's, out. And, you know, to all our listeners out there, if you ever come across something interesting, Jews and sports world, feel free to send it their way. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, always interested in, in, in reading different things. And, and this is, a you know, an, an interesting long read, a good deep dive on the history of it. And we've talked in, on this podcast sort of at length in, in our early episodes about Helen Meyer, um, who was in a very, very yeah. similar situation in the 1936 fencing team. Um, and sort of a lot of the Jewish community 
shunned her afterwards for a while. And, and I think she struggled with for a long time because she was not, you know, she, she has strongly hinted without coming out and saying it, that she performed under threat of violence to her family and herself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if she didn't stay on team Germany, even though she was Jewish. So, you know, yeah. I, uh, Rudy was in a similar situation and I can't, can't imagine what a Jewish athlete in 1935 Germany would be going through. Yeah, the article goes into the fact that, you know, he basically struck a deal to save his family uh, if he returned to play on the ice hockey team because he was considered, you know, a, a critical player mm-hmm. uh, to to play on the team. And other players on the team refused to play unless he was going to be part of the team. So definitely worth checking out. Um, we can post the link in our show notes maybe uh, so you can check it out. Um, until next time, uh, we will probably have some, you know, uh, ongoing Twitter coverage. Yeah, stay of on, stay on social weekend. media, folks. Um, we're, we're there. You know, David Lipsky and Ben Silverman are the two Jewish players playing in the Canadian Open this year. Uh, David Lipsky had a really great finish at the Memorial last year. He, Sorry, last week. He was in first going into the final day and didn't have a great Sunday, but he still managed to tie for 12th place, which is a great, uh, you know, one of his best one of his best performances this year. Uh, and he's going to be at the Canadian Open. So we'll see how he does. Uh, ben Silverman, sort of, you know, local local guy. Local who's hero. Been sort of local hero. He, he won on the Corn Ferry Tour, tour not long ago. Um, so, you know, hopefully has some experience with Oakdale. Maybe can show people, uh, you know, around the course and then in the city maybe where to get the good bagels. Um, <laughs> so hopefully we can catch up with Ben too. And, and yeah, just, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to keep up with them on, on Twitter and what's going on. If you have any questions golfers. for us to bother Lawrence Applebaum with as well, <laughs> happy to do it. I'm, I'll be tracking him down. Yeah. Um, but in, as always, we are produced by the Canadian Jewish News. Our executive producer is Michael Freeman. Uh, you can find our podcast and all our content on the Canadian Jewish News website, the cjn.ca. Uh, and you should like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get it. And you should follow us on Twitter, where Please we continue do. to be for some reason. Uh, we are at Menschwarmers, uh, <laughs> giving you all the Jewish sports news as it happens, uh, wherever it happens. Uh, until next time, thanks so much for listening. Oh,